All right, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the call of the mission of the church, of reaching out. We've talked about evangelism, the call to love our neighbors as we would love the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so with that, uh, I want to start by asking, who did their homework? Did you, guys, did you forget? We had homework. All right, so you are to, to pick the least of these, some people in your life that you could, you could love tangibly. You're to brainstorm uh, some ways that you could actually do that, to love them in ways that you would seek to love Christ. And finally, you're, you're, you're going to do those things. So don't forget about that. Think where you are in that, in that step. Maybe you've, you've thought of the person, haven't thought of the thing. Maybe you haven't actually found time or, or the right time to, to do the thing that you planned. So keep at that. Keep at that. Don't forget. But with that in mind, uh, it can be hard to, to do the work of, of loving and serving people. And so today, I want to talk about what the heart is behind um, loving people in a different sense. We're going to talk about uh, how Jesus saw people. How he saw the unbeliever. Because I think we can naturally see the unbeliever in, in a number of different ways. We can see them as an enemy. We can see them as an obstacle. We can see them as, as opponents, as rivals for, for the world. We might even see them as, as people that we fear or, or even worship. We see them as gods in a sense. And so we want to get to the heart of how did Jesus see people? And how did he then go about his mission of, of caring for them? So today we're going to be in Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. A short passage. So uh, if, if you want to grab those Bibles, turn to Matthew 9. You're probably familiar with this one, but uh, this is going to give the heart of Jesus towards those who don't yet know. So read with me, Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you might use your word to encourage and strengthen us and, and to give us perseverance in the things that you have called us to. Father, we thank you that you are this kind of God that you could have regarded the, the unbeliever and regarded uh, people in general with a much different heart, and yet you had a heart of compassion. Father, would you help us to follow in your footsteps, to, to treat people as you treated them, and to, to love and serve them as you did? Father, we ask this, uh, that your name might be glorified. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, so today we're going to be looking at three aspects of this passage. We're looking at how Jesus went on mission. His mission was to relieve not just sin, but suffering. So we're going to see that mission. 
the relief of sin and suffering. We're going to see how Jesus saw these people with a heart of compassion. He had compassion. And then finally, we're going to talk about how he invites us to actually follow him in that mission and compassion. Sounds like a plan? All right, that's the plan. So let's start with the first point. Jesus' mission, Jesus' mission was to take on both sin and suffering. Look at verse 35. When Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So, so far, Jesus has been doing a fair amount of ministry at this point in Matthew. And this is Matthew's kind of summary statement of what Jesus has spent his time doing. And he's been doing these, these three things. He's been teaching, he's been preaching, and he's been healing. And in the context, Matthew's giving a, each of those kind of equal weight. Equal weight. That these three things are, are Jesus' mission. And what he is called to give to the people that he is ministering to. So let's break that down just a little bit. Jesus came to teach. To teach. Now why did he come to teach? He came to teach because there were a lot of theologies, a lot of doctrines, a lot of misconstructions about how people thought about God. We think of that when we think of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were teaching about a God who was uh, kind of cold, heartless, stringent, just played by the rules, that you had to, you had to fight to, uh, to gain acceptance. And the result was that, that people were just being buried underneath the law, being crushed by it. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees were, picture, were painting this picture of a God that, that didn't care and was just, just laying it on them thick. So Jesus had to, had to correct theology, correct teaching, but he also had to correct the other notions, the, the pagan notions of the time. So there were Romans, and there were Roman teachers who were political leaders. And they were saying that, you know, you should, you should worship Caesar. You should worship the, the political powers. Or there are people who are teaching them that, that you should run to these pleasure temples. That in, in pleasure you will find your life satisfied. And people were getting enslaved to their sin uh, in the name of, of being happy. You just had a multiplying of, of rituals and, and pagan practices uh, in the name of, of seeking your own self-satisfaction. Alright, so there's two groups here. There's the, the religious people and then there's the non-religious people. Both people are lost and both people need to be taught about what God is really like. A God who is actually gracious. A God who doesn't use the law to crush people, but to, to point to grace. Jesus had to teach the people. All right, next up, Jesus had to preach. He had to preach the kingdom that had come. And this is where we can over-intellectualize this. Preaching is different than teaching. Preaching is different than teaching. That he wasn't just giving them facts about the kingdom. He was telling them that, that this is life. That history has changed. It is good news. That the ruler of the world, Satan himself, was, was being thrown out. 
And Jesus was kind of taking the reins. That God was taking back the reins. And he was defeating evil. He was defeating sin. He was saving souls. That the kingdom of God and the rule of God was advancing. He came to preach. But finally, he came to heal. He came to heal. And I think uh, our circles probably neglect that one the most. And that's where there's a, there's a physical manifestation of, of what Christ did. That there's the spiritual proclamation of the kingdom. There's a teaching of truth. But then there's actually the, the physical helping people and relieving the suffering that they're experiencing. I think Jesus did that a lot. And I think we don't have a category for that. I think the category for that is, is mercy. It is helping the least of these as we've been talking about these last weeks. It is serving people so that they would actually not just have an intellectual knowledge of, of who God is, not just have kind of this experiential knowledge of the kingdom, but they would have, have a tangible evidence. Like this is a God who, who does care, who is changing the world, who does have mercy and grace. There's a holistic work that Jesus is doing here. I think we tend to take, take one of the three. We tend to focus on one of the three. Presbyterians, which one are we good at? We're good at the teaching part. You know, just knowledge, knowledge will, will wipe people clean and they'll, they'll be renewed. Which is true in part, but not, not the whole picture. We look at maybe other denominations that are focused on the preaching. Our Baptist brothers and sisters, all about the preaching. Just preach it, preach it, tell it. And there's other denominations that would, would proclaim that the serving, just serve people. But it needs to be all three together. Because they all mutually reinforce each, each other. That if you're just serving, but not actually telling people about the kingdom or telling them about Christ or, or teaching about the real God, then actually the, the service doesn't point to anything. And it ends up falling flat. It's not meeting larger spiritual needs. If we're just teaching, we're kind of telling people about this God, but not inviting them to participate. Not giving them a tangible picture of it. Or let's say we're just preaching. It communicates that like kind of a distance. That, yeah, I'll, I'll throw out the preaching part. But God just kind of wants your soul, and then he's going to leave you once you've accepted him. And that's where we have, to, we have to think about what is our imbalance? How do we naturally serve and love people? We need to think, how can we be more dynamic in how we're presenting Christ? Teaching, preaching. I think teaching, teaching is becoming more and more uh, of an imperative as, as people don't come to church. They have, there's people who haven't grown up in the church. And so you can't assume what that they actually know about this God that we're talking about. Um, but all of these are, are crucial. All of these are crucial. And so I challenge you to think about which one do I, do I tend to, to gravitate towards? And how can I love more dynamically as Christ did? Right? He's meeting suffering. He's meeting sin. He's holistically meeting the needs of people on, on so many different levels. All right. All right. But that's assuming that you actually care. 
It's assuming that you actually care about the needs of people, that you want to serve as Christ serves. And so that's where we need to be connected to the, the heart of Jesus. And what is the heart of Jesus in this passage? The heart of Jesus is compassion. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He had compassion for them. All right. We need to define compassion. What is compassion? I have, a, I have a dictionary definition. Sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering and misfortune of others. Sympathetic pity and concern. Compassion is, is feeling what people feel. That when someone is hurting, you, you are hurting alongside of them. That you actually enter into their pain, their suffering. You feel it as they would feel it. Now to say that Jesus Christ did that is remarkable. We were talking in Sunday school about God's incomprehensibility. That he's just like, he's beyond our understanding. And here in Jesus Christ is, is God coming, becoming a human, and identifying with people's suffering. That he's getting that close to people and entering into their lives, feeling their pain. And this is remarkable also because Jesus could see the hearts of these people. He knew the hearts of the crowds. And I'm sure he saw lots of sin. I'm sure he knew every sinful thought, every sinful desire of their hearts. And yet that was not primarily how he saw them. He saw them with compassion. He was willing to, to get close to sinful people, know their suffering, and feel it himself. Now, that, is, that is amazing. That is the love of our God. He's not just this distant, removed, throwing out the message of salvation. No, he's, he's with people in sin and suffering in their plight. All right. What does it take to have compassion? What does it take to have compassion? You can't stand at a distance. You can't stand at a distance. You actually have to, have to know the hearts of people and talk to them. Ask about what their suffering it looks like. And that's where no, one, no one's going to just come out and tell you, most likely. There's intentionality there. You have to get close enough. Which also means you can't first and foremost judge them. You have to actually be willing to, to accept the person to get close enough to, to know what they're going through and to hear about it um, without talking to them and the whole time just listing out all the sins that they're committing. You can't do that. And then this is probably the one that, that I would suffer with or struggle with is you also can't be self-consumed. You can't constantly be thinking about, well, what, what are they thinking of me? What about me? How are they receiving me? How am I, how am I doing? You have to step outside of yourself and enter into, into their world and identify with them in where they are. That is what Jesus did for us. That is, that is what the incarnation is all about. That is the beauty of the incarnation that he'd be willing to do that. That God is, is compassionate in Jesus Christ. 
about? Why is he compassionate? What is he compassionate about? Uh, look at that second half of uh, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion for the fact that they were shepherdless. That they were shepherdless. And what does that entail? That means they're harassed. They're harassed. Now think of a sheep. Think of a sheep. These little, little puff balls. No defensive, defensive weapons on these guys. Uh, they're not particularly fast. They're not big. They're not strong. These guys are sitting ducks. They're sitting ducks. They're, they can't protect themselves. And that's where they're, they're preyed upon by the wolves. They're preyed upon by the wolves. And in Jesus' day, what did, what did the wolves look like? Maybe the wolves look like the religious institutions that are just using the people to lift themselves up. Giving people a bunch of rules and, and not helping them actually know anything about God except guilt and, and misery. Maybe it looked like the, the political rulers who are taking and taking from the sheep uh, but not providing for them. Eating the sheep and never actually feeding them, never caring for them. Ultimately, the, the true and greatest wolf is Satan himself. That Satan preys upon the sheep. That's, how, that's what Jesus saw when he saw people. He saw them harassed by all of these forces that would seek to destroy them. Now, are we, are we saying that they're not responsible, that they're not responding sinfully? No, all those things are true. But this is what he's seeing. He is seeing that, that there are all of these outside forces seeking to destroy the sheep. And then he also calls them helpless. Helpless. They cannot help themselves. Okay, so, so the, sheep, the sheep can't find their own food. They can't find their own water. They can't bind up their own wounds. They can't jump out of pits. They, they get lost. They get trapped. They fall off of cliffs. Like, they, they do goofy things. These are sheep. They're helpless. That is how Jesus is seeing the people. All right, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for, for you and me? First of all, we are all sheep. We are all sheep. All right, we are, not, we are not shepherds. We are not goats. We are sheep. Everyone is a sheep in this context. Everyone. Besides the, the, few, the few wolves, but... Yeah, yeah, all right. Not everyone is a sheep. Um, most of the people you're encountering are simply sheep. And you are probably sheep. All right. What does that mean? That means that you are potentially harassed and helpless. That you are no better than any of the people you encounter. You're just encountering fellow sheep. And so if you know Christ, you are a sheep with a shepherd. You're a sheep with a shepherd. And as we wander through this world, we're going to encounter lone sheep. Lone sheep. And when we encounter those lone sheep, our temptation is to think that we're better sheep than they are. 
that we are better sheep. And we look at these, these lone guys and we say, well, why are you so dirty? You need, to, you need to clean yourself up a bit. Or we say, like, you're all scrawny. Why, why aren't you eating? You should eat more. Or like, why? You're bleeding. Like, ugh. What happened? You, you, need, to, you need to put some Band-Aids on that thing. That's, that's gross. Or we see, the, or we walk, we're walking by and we see them in the pit. And we say, oh, we shouldn't have jumped in there. Bad news. Like, oh, it's, what are you doing? All right. The only reason, the only distinction between the two of them is the shepherd. One group has a shepherd, the other group does not. And so if we are clean, it's because the shepherd cleaned us. And if we are well fed, it's because the shepherd took us to green pastures. If we're not thirsty, it's because the shepherd gave us water. And if our wounds are all bound up, the sheep didn't do that. No, the shepherd bound our wounds. And the only reason we're not in the pit is because our shepherd went in there and pulled us out. That's the difference between the sheep that are, that are clean and hungry and, and not. That is the difference is if they have a shepherd or not. And so when we encounter fellow sheep on our little journey, we don't judge them. We don't point out all the things that, that suck about those sheep. No, what do we say? We say, you know what? You, sh- you need to get a shepherd. And you know what? I, I found the shepherd. And this shepherd, he, he takes me by by still waters. He takes me to the greenest pastures. That he cares for me. And yeah, he sometimes takes me down really dark paths. Really dark paths. That, that are scary and I can't see, but you know what? I know that the shepherd is there and I, I feel his, his shepherd staff directing me, keeping me from falling into the pits. And we look at these sheep and say, you know what? Join the flock. Come, come get a shepherd. We love our shepherd. And that's the only difference between us. It is nothing in ourselves. I think in that we need to have a different perspective on, on how we see people who are lost. In a different perspective on people who are lost. That we see people who are addicted and, and see them as those who have fallen into the pit that only Christ can get them out of. We see people who are, who are sexually broken and see, see the abuse behind it. See the fact that the world is selling them sex in, in all of its brokenness and deceiving people, leading them astray, throwing them off of cliffs. That we see people who are fearful and anxious and, and have nowhere else to go. And yeah, they get into really, really bad situations. But they are leading themselves when they, they have no ability to do so. And that's where there's the sad reality that if we have no compassion for these people, 
we can become wolves ourselves. That we approach these sheep and just devour them and judge them and tear them up and offer them actually no, no pathway to find the shepherd. When we know Jesus, we know Jesus in his compassion. That this is the shepherd who gave his life for his sheep. That up on this cross, he, he took on the wolves. And he took on the wolves by being devoured by them. By being killed by the wolves so that the wolves didn't get at the sheep. And when he rose from the dead, he, he declared victory over them. Victory over the wolves. Victory over the, the religious legal system. Over all these pagan pleasures that would just trap people in their sins. Victory over, over that, that great wolf, Satan himself. That Jesus on the cross had compassion. He had great compassion. He was willing to, to sacrifice everything. Now what does this mean? This means if you don't have a shepherd, you need a shepherd. And Jesus is the only good one. Jesus is the only good shepherd and you need one. For those of you who already have this shepherd, I'm going to give you the, the follow-up to that. You have to listen to the shepherd. That all of this only applies if you actually follow him. But if he says, don't go in that pit, and you jump on in, then you're, you're not going to be living this, this glorious life of, of joy that you're supposed to. And I think sometimes our, our witnessing falls flat because we go to these lone sheep and we're like, you know what, you, you really need a shepherd. And they look at us and they're like, but you don't have a shepherd. Where's your shepherd? Because we abandoned our shepherd a mile back and, and we look just as, as dirty and goofy and in a mess like all the other sheep. We have to listen to our shepherd and learn to take joy in listening to him. That we go to his word so that we might know, okay, where... Where am I going to find true food? Where am I going to find true peace and true provision and true life? We need to actually, actually have the shepherd that we say we have. All right. So Jesus has this mission. He has a mission to provide for his people and he's motivated by compassion. That's what we've gotten so far. That takes us to our final point. Jesus invites us to join him in this compassionate mission. So the verse kind of takes a, takes a turn here. So verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So Jesus is starting to mix metaphors here. He's jumped off of this, the sheep analogy and is now looking at the field. He's looking at the field and saying, There's all of these people who are lost whose hearts are, are ripe for this message. And, and their, their time has come to, to be gathered in. But what does he say is the problem? The laborers are few. I think we can discourage ourselves and, and give ourselves messages that say, well, no, it's that it's people are hard-hearted. People don't want to know the gospel. That's not what Jesus identifies as the problem. It's that the laborers are few. 
And he, he is Lord of the harvest. Look what it says in verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That God's responsible for that. And God says the time is ripe. So he invites his disciples to, to first and foremost, pray that laborers would be sent out. Pray that laborers would be sent out. Now why does he start with prayer? It's, maybe it's so that, so that his disciples would, would connect with this heart of compassion, that they would they'd spend time thinking about the needs of people and, and the fact that they need to be saved. Maybe that's it. Um, but in context, actually, in context, there's an answer to that prayer right away. What is the answer to the prayer for, for people to be sent out? All of chapter 10 is the sending out of the 12 apostles. That he sends out the 12 apostles, and the apostles, what do they do? They teach, and they preach, and they heal. The apostles are the answer to this prayer. Now that might be, oh, okay, well, we're, we're off the hook. That prayer has been answered. Now what did the apostles do? The apostles established the church. The apostles established the church. The church is called to be the answer to that prayer. That we, the church, would go out into the harvest field. So yes, we pray. We pray that those would be sent out. But generation by generation, we're, we're praying for, for the people behind us. We're praying for the people in our midst. But this is primarily our calling. To join God in the harvest. To have compassion. To, to take part in the mission that Christ himself had. Now why do you want to do this? Why do you want to do this? In part because we're following our shepherd. That, that, that's, where he, that's where he is going. He is going on mission. If we want to follow him, that's where we need to go. And that's how we show our, our love for our shepherd. That when we think about what, what is our, our shepherd delight in? What does he delight in? He delights in when that one sheep is found. We're only given a couple parties in heaven. A couple pictures of parties in heaven. And when that lost sheep is found, the shepherd rejoices. He rejoices. He throws a party for all of his neighbors. And if we love our shepherd and want to please our shepherd, uh, we have the joy of taking part in that. To finding fellow sheep. And that is our greatest desire. To, to please our shepherd, to give him glory. To love him. As he has first loved us. Do you want to please the shepherd? Do you want to follow the shepherd? Do you believe that the shepherd is actually going to lead you to the places of life and, and flourishing? That's our question here. I think that, and also, do we have true compassion? Do we think that, that it's ourselves putting on a performance, or is it our shepherd that really matters? The answer is that I, 
We want to glorify Christ. That there's no greater thing. That there's, there's no greater joy. That there's no greater purpose. And we get the joy of doing that.